If you've never heard this song before, guys, you just now you're on your fifth time. <laughs> this is a great song. I love this song. Yeah. I did worry that he was dead for some reason. <laughs> My biggest worry is I'm starting to look like this guy. Holly <laughs> was not on the beach, and the song talks about starts with him being on the shore of the sand. I don't understand. The hills, though, where they're looking down from is Hollywood. And welcome, everyone. Episode 152 of the Light Shed Podcast. Richard Greenfield, Walt Isaac, and from Hollywood. Well, not literally Hollywood, but the City of Angels. It's all Hollywood, right? Didn't the, st- the, didn't the first lyrics talk about walking on the golden sand, or did I mishear that? Um, or is he yes. referencing that the We're- streets of Hollywood are golden sand? No, 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 no. He's oh. talking about what well, he's talking about LA in general. If you listen oh. to the yeah, to the whole song, it's about a guy who, you know, goes to visit some friends in LA, find falls find some girl, falls in love, and then she leaves him. And then but I was led to believe that in LA that the traffic is so bad that people don't live their immediate locality. So to to suggest that someone in Hollywood is enjoying the golden sands of the beach, I thought was kind <laughs> of a incorrect assessment of LA. Am I wrong? Uh, I think enjoying the golden sands of the beach now doesn't work because it's so fucking cold here. <laughs> that that also. <laughs> I don't know and what's knows going what on. Else are, and God it was knows what else are on York. those beaches. I, I got off yeah, hypodermic needles. I, I got I got off Scooter the plane crash. last night and I had to put a fleece on. It was so cold. <laughs> anyway, we're obviously here for WrestleMania. This could be our last WrestleMania. Um, covering the stock, which is, oh. you know, the real reason we're here because the thing could get sold in short order, but we'll discuss that later. Um, Rich, you're back from uh, Disneyland. I could see that. Is that background? Are you supposed to be putting your head between those mouse ears? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you uh, turn your head to what would be your left? Uh, oh, God. How's that? That's exactly. as good as the TikTok. T- that's a good. That's, that's, as good that's as almost as good TikTok. as the peacock cock, right? Oh my god, Rich, Brandon, I'm, imp- it, I'm it impressed that 30th- you spent. A- I'm impressed that you spent a day in Disney for the 30th anniversary, given how much you've salted me for my interest in going to Disney parks. And there you are spending the day with the family in Disney Paris. My Explain. youngest daughter is a super fan, and Good. her her goal in life now is to hit every park, every Disney park in the world. So, well, it's a good well, thing it, there aren't that many. <laughs> and if you're and if you're and if you're paying, especially if you're paying for the guide, I'd be happy to take her to the uh, you know Disney World, not land. I will did say Dis- the, the did Disney the arrange someone for you? No, I, I I this I use the Disney Fast Pass, or and they don't call it Fast Pass; they call it. Um, just sweet pass. For it. No, but I mean, basically, it's like the old fast pass system, but way better. Uh, and you literally, we didn't wait for rides the entire day. I mean, we Genie. had a great experience. It's not Genie. It's way, first of all, the system that's in Paris should be at every Disney park. It is by far the best system 
of any of the parks I've been to in terms of ease of getting through, no guide needed, just a great experience. Isn't that probably because they're not at excess capacity like all the U.S. parks or both of the U.S. parks? I don't know. They said capacity was around 50,000. They cap it at 50,000 for the two parks and they were somewhere between 40 and 45. So could it have been a little worse with an extra 10,000 people? I'm sure it would have been more crowded. Uh, It was freezing. How many many days a year do you think Orlando doesn't hit the cap? (laughs) I mean, it feels Um, like it. Every time I've been there, it's at they're they're shutting it down at some point because yeah, but that's Orlando. I think Rich's what Rich has said actually makes sense, which is it it was cold. Yeah, like for Paris and Beijing, I assume it's just too cold to go sometimes. I never wore a jacket in Disney World before, like heavy jacket. Like that was what was so interesting was like it's cold. I mean, outdoor rides, outdoor roller coasters, like it's. It was cold. If I had to wear a sweatshirt in order to get below capacity and go quickly online, I think I'm willing to do that. Just got to say, I'm going to put that out there. I mean, it was the, b- between the, the the evening show, Space Mountain, there were definitely better rides than at any Disney park I had been to. Also a newer wow. A lot of the rides were newer. So I think that also now you're just average. Now that's a free advertisement. I, look, it was People really- go to podcast Rich. listeners, head to head to Paris. Well, all step the rules could change. Your, step over the could, trash on your way to Disney Paris. <laughs> isn't it possible that all the parks will change soon when Apple buys Disney? <laughs> oh, God. Good segue. <laughs> well done. Oh, my God. I Who mean... saw that? I mean, CNBC was pimping um, our friend Laura Martin this week on uh, – on, on this call, what what what'd she say? There are three to five odds, v- very specific odds that, uh, <laughs> that Apple was going to buy Disney in the next two years. Is I don't want to go into all the reasons that is just plain stupid. Um, I'll uh, I'll leave that to you, Walt, because well, I'm not as good at word, insulting but... other people. <laughs> Was was she was, this, was the synergy that they have Beijing? Is that the synergy for for Apple, the Beijing Disney? Because Steve Jobs spent some time, you know, in China this week. My favorite part about other- it, though, is um, CNBC had tweeted some of the analysis out, and I took a look. And she first of all values both companies on revenue multiples. Then she assumes that Disney's revenue, the whole company would trade at the same revenue multiple um, following acquisition, which which was Yeah, I can't say that there's a lot of Apple investors that are looking at Apple on a revenue multiple. Obviously, there's the large swath of investors that effectively treat it like a meme stock, like NVIDIA and everything else, where there is no real valuation consideration. But those that do might perhaps look at a PE multiple. And I think as we talked about in our recent downgrade, of Apple. Um, and to your point, Brandon, that the PE multiple, and maybe this has collapsed a little bit because I think Netflix has been having a great run. Um, I could be wrong, but that Netflix um, representing kind of the ultimate streamer out there had a lower PE than than Apple. The other side More of it. Broadly, all- though, I mean, if we're going to take this seriously, beyond the valuation considerations and this specific analysis, and the I fact that say, they've never done large acquisitions. But well, yeah, go I on. Was, uh, yeah, I was going to say that. And the other thing is, if they're going to do a large acquisition, do you think they're going to do it now in the current DOJ FTC situation that we have when Apple has a huge target on its back 
globally. And obviously this this deal would need global approval vis-a-vis the app store, which is their bread and butter of their profitability. No, it just, it, it's just not a well thought out and considered. How about the other side of this? No one values Disney on a revenue multiple. I mean, that's just a fact. I don't think anyone's ever looked at Disney on a revenue basis. Let me ask you something, Rich. Is well, Fubo is Fubo valued on a revenue multiple? Because I seem to recall the same analyst had a price target of like forty one dollars. Was that revenue multiple based? Well, you have to use a revenue multiple, Walt, because negative oh. gross margin. You can't even well, use a gross margin. Right. Multiple. <laughs> when, when you literally don't make money well, in any form, multiple. Yeah, there is no gross profit. There's nothing. So, um, I, I don't know. It's just. Look, there was all these speculation back when when Disney or sorry, when Apple was first getting into content. There was lots of speculation. I remember several uh, investors sort of hoping that Apple would buy Disney. I think we're and, spending too much time on this. Can we just okay, move fine. forward? What, Let's why? Move on. Sorry to interrupt, but okay. Well, we've got WWDC invitation. I love the segues here. WWDC twenty three invitations went out. Walt, thanks for sh- highlighting this to all of us. You're welcome, Rich. What are we expecting, or what is this? Well, even I don't mean? know, Rich, but I think let's keep this segment quick. And, and for the podcast listeners, you might have seen online. There's an invite. Everyone t- tries to speculate what the big announcement is going to be from WWDC. It looks to me like maybe an amphitheater of some sort. But like in an EDM, Rich, what are you, what are your thoughts on what Apple will say at WWC DC? Excuse me, in a few months. I mean, I get it. We were all thinking this was all about mixed reality and new devices. Maybe that's too soon for that. Maybe the the, the look of an amphitheater makes me think. You know, the big news this week was obviously about classical music. So does it tie into the fact that they just launched a classical music app that sort of skyrocketed in the App Store? Yeah, maybe, it's hard to maybe, believe. maybe the original plan was augmented reality that didn't come to fruition in a good enough time frame. So now they're pivoting and saying like, okay, we're going to do our big announcement that we're basing our invite on. But, it's classical music. Why do, why do you think that looks anything like it relates to classical music? Considering Fair. it looks it looks like it's from an EDM show, if yeah, anything. True. Maybe they're going to so launch maybe- an EDM channel. <laughs> this is the new. This is this is how we're going to beat Spotify. We're just going to segment all of our music into different apps. It'll be like Comcast, where they have fifteen different apps for all their different content, and then they'll rebundle it back together, like they did putting CNBC on Peacock. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> how to get that in there? <laughs> I did not know where you were going at first, but you wrapped that together really nicely. Can we move on? Uh, yeah, we can move on. Um, so. Uh, Brandon, why don't you read the New York Times? More than 1,000 technology leaders and researchers, including Elon Musk, signed an open letter urging a pause in the development of the most powerful artificial intelligence systems, warning that AI tools present, quote, profound risks to society and humanity, end quote. The AI thing has become very interesting because it is kind of at the nexus of politics economics, morals and ethics, philosophy, um, and technology, if I, if I haven't said it yet. And everyone is kind of trying to figure out what this rapid development of AI means and how it is going to impact us as human beings, if not addressed in a thoughtful manner. 
But isn't that tweet specifically about the ethics side of it? Like pause because we're worried about what's going to happen with these things? Yes, it is definitely about the ethics side of it, especially as we have an election coming up and there is the possibility for misinformation um, that can be spread from a source that looks pretty authoritative. And we've all used ChatGPT a lot and typed things into it and gotten completely, not just false information because the data set is from 2021, but just wrong information in general. And the way- So sort of like when you go on television- So sort of like when a politician goes on television and says something that's not factually correct. Um, <laughs> yes, that that is only it's meant to be a completely nonpartisan factual answer that you're getting in this case. That's number one. Number two is obviously the jobs issue and how quickly will artificial intelligence replace jobs? What does it mean for capitalism in general? It's something that we have to grapple with if things do move at a rapid pace. But then the other side of this is you want to pause what we're doing here in America. And I know Walt will love this. Like you think the Chinese and the Russians don't have their own AI development and how important is the development of AI for national security and our hegemony as a country. So Elon's pretty close to China. Is he calling also for China to pause in their AI development? I didn't see that. And to be honest, look, I did not pass the headline on this one. Yeah. But how is this not just people that are behind and afraid of where Google is ahead of them just saying like, oh, help me government. Let hit the pause button so I can catch up. Why yeah, is but not if, that? If, if everyone is pausing, then how is anyone catching pausing. up? Everyone, but who, was Sam Altman on there or, or a, uh, in terms no, no, no. of asking for the, a pause? The, the call from this group, Elon included, is for everyone to pause. So in that everyone, it would be every company. So yeah, everything I'm not sure would how just you enforce for, for the, yeah, well, that's another thing. Yeah, the and thing it, is dumb. I mean, there are real issues to consider though. Okay. And, and ones that we haven't uh, had to how, think about look, much before. Right. And there's, and there has to be real ways to implement that. I agree. And our government have like, uh, can't, can't even like deal with ticketing. <laughs> can't deal with ticketing. We can't monitor nuclear <laughs> proliferation in Iran. <laughs> I mean, we can't figure out whether to keep TikTok or ban TikTok or how to do it. We can't, we have a cable act. The Cable Act is from 1992 before the <laughs> internet was created. Like, you, you know, retransmission consent was from before the internet. Like, I mean, you're, part of it, part of it, just, could, part of it could be narrative, meaning that Elon um, doesn't want people adopting this and you want to create this narrative. Oh, you should be scared of this new technology. And we're, and this is part of trying to build that narrative so that um, those that are successful in utilizing AI. Um, they can slow that success. So it's not about pausing. It's maybe just, you know, creating alarms um, to help to, to handicap others that are ahead of them. I just want to know okay. what, where does this go next? Like, what's the next? Nowhere. That's, That's what I'm saying. Be, like, it feels like hearings, like congressional week. hearings. Yeah. Great. Brandon's favorite, the congressional hearings where no hearing is actually done. <laughs> I look forward to the ethical. No, no. I, I look forward to the ethical AI hearings that are coming up in, in 2023. Yeah, can't, can't wait for the I, questions on that. By one. the by the way, all Does of this it connect stuff to my is, Wi-Fi? isn't to be minimized, 
right? These are, these are real issues that as humans, we're going to have to deal with in some time, whether that is in a year or two years, 10 years or 20 years, like ethical AI is an extremely important topic. It's just a matter of how, from a practical standpoint, we're going to be able to come up with rules, regulations, and monitoring on it. So the next uh, set of uh, tweets we have is from uh, Toby, who's uh, CEO of, of Shopify. And he's sort of talking about a use case that we talked about on the podcast last week in terms of content creation. And he goes, when you feed scene transcript or when you feed scene transcript and scene description into GPT-4 and prompt it to turn it into a movie script, you get very good results. Also, there's lots of movie scripts for real cinema floating around the Internet, which gets you ground truth. Um, He goes, after turning lots of movies back into scripts, you have a data set that you can train the other way, diffusion model style. Basically, this is all about can you create a movie virtually? Yeah, that's that's about scripting, though. Read the third tweet because that completes well, the puzzle. It, right. right? It's just, so soon you'll be able to describe a scene, get a movie script to edit, assign virtual actors, add a cinemagraphic direction and sound design prompt, and get a full draft movie back overnight. Further editing can be structured as a chat. Um, sure. What does that mean for the content business? Right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, this gets into the legal margins. And <laughs> right um this have much better margins but it would allow for an extreme proliferation of content if you think that the last you know 10 years where you got to where you had youtube and then on top of it you had professional creators flooding the market to you know fill out streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera, and all the dollars that were spent there, the amount of content that will be able to be created, possibly at a high level, mimicking the stuff that we've seen come out of Hollywood nights is is extremely interesting. I mean, I think it can lead to better. I think it can lead to better product because basically, you know, one of the, I love to watch content with one of my sons, Zachary, and he's awesome because he's like, this is so cliche. This is like that storyline, like Disney, a lot of fucking cliche in terms of this. So if all of a sudden you cut out that cost structure of the formulaic scripts that effectively all go back to Shakespeare then you can maybe build more interesting things on top of it and make for better content. Just like we more watch creativity, we, more creativity, like, like a true you're, democratization. You're, you're talking hundred percent. You're creating a better tool and you're elevating someone that might not have had that opportunity to put something more creative on top of the baseline, which they've been wasting too much money paying writers to do the same formulaic scripts and the same, you know, blockbuster films. Yeah. I guess but the challenge is the, act, is the actors part. You don't need actors either. Theoretically. Again, I think those are a lot of leaps there. I think the the parts that are interesting to me is one, remember, if you feed the same seeds into a system, you may get the same answer. So how do you not sort of get cookie cutter content? Just sort of what Walt is sort well, of pushing Well, it's, back it's not, no, no, no. But a lot of this is, the, the reason there's a, a democratization is because you can describe the story that you want and it comes out as a script. Right. Then in the way that scripts have been written, then that script can be translated into live action based on the way live action has happened. All of a sudden, you may not have the absolute best content, but the amount of content that is better, longer form, 
uh, higher quality that's out there becomes enormous. I mean, didn't some early animators' jobs get um, taken away from technology or CGI take away a lot of stuntman type of, I mean. Well, it took away drawing, right? I mean, there used to be actual drawing. People had to have reskilled. So which animations are better, the ones we have today or the ones that were drawn? I mean, there's no doubt. And same thing with CGI in terms of like, think of them. When I first watched The Matrix the first time, it was awesome and incredible. And we rewatched it. And it's like now that and the technology they used to do the original Matrix is integrated in like a baseline to make for even better action. We Everything just builds upon itself. Well, and the other thing that I was creativity. Sorry. Well, what I was also thinking about is forget it. We're, we're so fixated on movies and TV and like professional content. This is also really interesting for making the quality of content on YouTube and TikTok and all these other sure. platforms way more interesting, right? Like the things that you might be able to create for a YouTube video that, yep. yeah. you know, that's where I actually get most excited because, you know, the, the copyrights and all the things that you sort of, you worry about that might, you know, yeah, impact UGC, sort of. Yeah, but UGC gets way fucking Yes, bad. exactly. But what if, you, at, to what extent does UGC encroach on professionally made content? Well, That's we the know, question. We, we know today my daughter watches a heck of a lot more UGC content that eats into her li- linear television time that totally. we well, would have that? watched at that, that same this? age. The, the tools that made Snap easy to make content or TikTok or whatever it is took time away from traditional content. It's the That's same it. thing. Well, it's it. It. So now no you're talking about even more content taking away from that sort of top level yeah. okay you know, that's that's creation. development there's how many different versions of that that have occurred over time well, now I, rich we have had people who, who in response to last week's podcast came back and start to talk about the legals of this and the fact that none of this content could be copyrighted does it matter like none of the ugc content is copyrighted and the fact that, oh, you you could, these training modules could be taken from um, uh, other pieces of content. Uh, last, last that I knew, um, if you look at any rock song, it was rooted in copying things from the blues. And like, <laughs> and well, I think the like issue that. right now is right now is you can't copyright something that's come out. You, the output of chat GPT is not copyrightable. And Who so- cares? Well, a studio does. A studio does if you want to basically create merchandise and own that copyright because you want to essentially well, create not a everyone, Yeah, but not everyone's going to be in it to make like shit oh. tons of money, just like uh, UGC today. Understood. There's and going the to be models a, could change. 100%. It just creates sort of, there are legal issues to work out and challenges here. Not the only one. Uh, Photos is the easier one. The more near-term one, right? Getty Photos. If if yeah. it looks at all these photos, then it creates something new. It still used copyright material in order to generate. Is that fair use or not fair use? There'll be a good debate about that, and we'll see what the outcome is. There'll be isn't congressional Sean hearings. Does, probably, isn't Sean Ryan's son um, have a business that they do, does that? It's Rich? hard. It's hard to keep technology down. They tried to did it, do it, and I'm going to list 15 different ways. It's hard. It's hard. Oh boy. Walt, you love fees, so why don't you read this? Well, here's something regulators have talked a lot about, fees and the undisclosed fees. We've talked about this uh, relative to Ticketmaster. Um, Chairwoman Rosenworcel of the FCC introduced a proposal for new customer service protections 
to require cable operators and, and direct broadcast satellite providers, aka DirecTV and DISH, to specify total costs and subscribers' bills in order to clear up confusion on hidden fees. So, I mean, I'm sure that um, Chairwoman Rosenworcel has been listening to our podcast and, <laughs> and the debates that I've been having with TV Answer Man about the fees. TV Answer Man. <laughs> I think no matter what your political persuasion is, it's not a bad thing to have the ingredients listed on your food. And in this case, the ingredients are, um, I think Rich has his thing up here, DVR service fee, spectrum receiver, receiver fee. I, I listed all the fees that were on my direct TV bill as well to know what you're truly paying. But I think well, that's not the upsetting part. Like at least they show you what's in the spectrum TV, but what is to me misleading and sort of deceptive is why is the broadcast TV surcharge, which you have to have, if you have spectrum TV, why is it broken out under other charges? Like, why is it separated out? Like, why does why does direct? Well, if you go to all in pricing, it it wouldn't even matter. You're right. That's but they don't. But they advertise a price. But everyone does this. The telcos do this, and Direct TV is you know you're seeing advertisements on Twitter right now, sixty four ninety nine because they want to put it up against YouTube TV. You can't buy that package without the fifteen dollar. I can't even remember what fee it is. But like, how do you advertise the 64 and not mention that there's a required, this is not even taxes. Wait, who has spectrum TV without the receiver box? You can't, you need a spec, you need a receiver box. Bottom, bottom line on all of this is I think all of us agree that transparency and all in pricing should, should be a consumer, a consumer protection issue. Yes. Well, well, let me, let me, I agree with that as a consumer. (laughs) <laughs> as as someone that looks at telecom stocks, that is not going to be a positive thing because this is where they've been layering in those extra dollars and two dollars and three dollars to increase ARPU. So you're taking away, and same thing with with um with the, the broadband guys, you're taking away an opportunity for to for them to muster the small amount of growth that they that they can. Well, they're and, just gonna have to do it on the headline price number then. I mean yeah. <laughs> it no, it's I mean, deceptive. I don't Look, think there's any other way to put it. Yeah, I mean, deceptive. Yeah, I think that's probably a, an adequate word. Oh, speaking of deceptive, how does this guy TV, get into our? Oh TV, my god, the TV answer man is back. Oh, so god. for podcast listeners that may have listened, may have missed <laughs> last week's podcast, this is the guy that was arguing about how somehow Directv is is close to being as cheap as YouTube TV, which is just factually wrong. So this week he tweets, "Movie theaters rebounding." Flip phones coming back, shorter baseball games, talk of Blockbuster returning, vinyl records, a thing again. (laughs) There's a thirst. Brandon, you're going to have to go through these one by one, but quickly. There's a thirst for past technologies and products that might have provided a better experience. All right. You want me to go through these? I'll start from the bottom. One by one. Vinyl records, a thing again. It has been for the last 10 years. It's my kid's True. Christmas gift from like five years ago, but go exactly. on. Yes. <laughs> True. Okay. Talk of blockbuster returning. <laughs> maybe a, maybe a Hail Mary Wait. pass. For, this I don't, be a I Hail did, who's, Hail I, I can't find that. it. Who saw that? I don't know. I don't have any news on that. I have no news. I'm telling you, it's probably a Hail Mary pass from Dish to try and raise some amount of money. Move on. Shorter, base, shorter baseball games, rule changes that didn't exist years ago. Right. So I don't understand. There wasn't a pitch clock years ago. I guess the, it was pre-shift. So, okay, fine. Flip phones coming back. Yeah. For drug dealers, movie theaters, <laughs> rebounding, um, 
I don't know, Rich. March is only down 35, 40%. So no, it was flat year over year, Rich. Are we hitting an inflection? Yes. So are we hitting an inflection point? Dude, you have to look at. I just wanted to fuck with you, Rich. Let's move to the What is this guy's business model? I don't even understand like what he does. Like, and who's asking the TV? Okay, I'll move on. What would be the answer to the answer, man? You know, we're we're going to a little a little Grateful Dead reference, Saint Stephen reference in his. Is we're, we're, we're moving on to some Twitter sources that I actually think are far more reputable. Sports TV ratings <laughs> in inbox $25 a month for Yes Network streaming service. <laughs> oh, I, I, at least I like what they tweet and think it's interesting. $25 a month for Yes Network streaming service. Uh, intro offer is $20 per month. Um, basically, the streamable then says, Yes, Network would need about a million subs each season. So you're figuring a six-month season to cover the $150 million cost per year for the rights to the Yankees. Um, they average about 230,000, um, 100,000 average viewers per game. This is why Major League Baseball teams need RSNs to remain widely distributed on cable. You need people not watching to pay for them. Sort of obvious, but that's sort of the the challenge with this over-the-top model, Brandon, is the teams are just ultimately going to make less money. I don't think there's any other way around it. Yeah. We've been talking about that for a long time now, but what's right. It, it, by the way, I brought that up. So this, this week I went to the Pally center to hear Rob Manfred speak. Um, he was interviewed by Tom Verducci, amazing baseball writer, by the way. Um, and I asked him directly. I'm like, in front of everybody, in front of in front of everyone, I said this local rights issue, you know, it seems to be a big problem. the so, The only solution that, in the near term, seems doable is for the teams to take less money. But it doesn't that eventually flow down to uh, salaries because these teams are going to be immediately less profitable we have less revenue and he's like yeah like if it continues this way then yes that is going to be the outcome and i said well it's interesting because player salaries are exploding right now and revenues may be going the other way and he's like well we're hopeful that we could figure something out um on the uh on the sports right side and it seems like they're taking sort of the path that the NBA is hoping to, which is to put more games into national rights over time and take away from uh, from local rights to, to make up for some of the issues. And hopefully Rob will come on Light Shed Live soon and we'll get to ask him about it more directly. But um, it's it's a big problem. It's hard for me to relate to this because I love sports. Like I'll look for any sports at any time. But the reality is the stats that we hear from people that see what's being looked at on their platform are shockingly low in terms of the amount of time spent um, oh, totally. watching sports. Totally. So I mean, this could be the, you know, but, you know, I, I mean, I, he Rob talked about, you know, cross subsidization in the bundle and the fact that not that many people um, are actually watching the product. He even said something we it came up um streaming rights came up, and he said something like like Apple and Amazon would never want local rights in Milwaukee 
<laughs> right. Amazon did the Yes what Network deal, right? But they don't. Right uh, now, but by, that was but, an experiment. But by the way, it, the the irony in this is, and I'm stating the obvious, so I apologize. But the irony yeah. is, it's just going to accelerate my ability <laughs> to move out of that direct tv cable ecosystem where those numbers were bundled in because now i'm like okay i can get you to tv let's say I, let's say i was a yankees fan and i bought the yankees this year maybe next year i don't because they're shitty and I, I skipped two two or three months like it's just it, it's accelerating the demise no well it, it, it's a really the bundle, the bundle demise but also but as you're saying that the, potentially can accelerate the demise of the sport correct because they're, they're it's, interlinked. Not, it's not always there. You don't get the casual fan, which is something we've been talking about for a long time. But yeah, it's it's a real issue. Well, and it's it's worse than that because not only are you when you have like this yes network direct, you're only getting that super fan. But when you shift from direct TV or Comcast over to YouTube TV, the beauty of those platforms is that you don't have to be a subscriber for the full year. Like Walt, I know you're subscribing for the full year. But you can put it on pause. It saves all your DVR programming, all your settings. Like you want to only subscribe for football season to YouTube TV, click of a button. And it's, you know, super easy to do. There's no pain, no returning boxes, no waiting on hold for a salesperson to pick up. Like the, the, the partially year subscriptions are going to increase pretty dramatically as you keep moving. And that's going to have even more pressure on cord cutting. Because you're not leaving for the full year, but you're leaving for part of the year. Yeah, but even beyond cord cutting, once you're in the over-the-top alternative, you're probably not staying on for the whole year anyway. And as Walt brought up, what if your team sucks? Or they're not predicted to be good. Yeah, or or they get bad. Let's say you're 15 games behind at the the, uh, all-star break break or whatever whatever you baseball people, you know, look as your determining factor when they start tanking. or selling That's about players. right. Uh, you can just it disconnect. <laughs> you can selling just, players. You this just disconnect. This isn't soccer. It isn't. They um, don't work that way. <laughs> Brendan, why don't you read this in Ad Age because it ties into uh, your Manfred uh, meeting this week. Yeah. Um, this says a new campaign launching this week is meant to connect as much to MLB's casual fans as to its avid ones by celebrating the game's quirky charms and its on-field thrills. And this is this is a video of a Daniel Vogelbach commercial. These new bases are wider than the old ones. Is he focused on the size of the new bases? Now it will be easier to steal second you don't base. See bodies like that on a soccer. Is he pitch. thinking about stealing second base? <laughs> Looks Seven like my years body. in the league. <laughs> and he's never stolen a single base. Don't steal second base. The pitcher's not Gotta looking. Gotta love bogey. I am not looking. I mean, I'll give him credit. That's a clever advertisement. The other two are good. I think they would have been particularly well received during the Super Bowl when you had a lot of sports fans there that, you know, could have maybe said like, yeah, maybe I give baseball. Maybe it's too, maybe the thought process was it was too disconnected from when the baseball the season, season started. Yeah. Um they could have done one of those little teaser ads like, oh, new things coming for MLB. But I'm restating what I said before. At least they got something going now to get people into baseball. By the way, the rules changes. I think they've done a good job of walking the line between not alienating the traditionalists and making the game more palatable for 
um, more casual viewers um, or newer fans. I will give right. it a shot and give you my my feedback on whether it it pulls me back in. Mark already zone. chimed in. Mark already chimed in. A little Mark, added hold on, color. Mark's views irrelevant. Sorry, but Mark's an avid baseball fan that watched it a lot already. Yeah, so what he like? Well, well, what, how does his what, opinion matter on this? What did topic? I just? What did I just say? You don't want to alienate. Oh, I got you. Sorry, the right. actual fans, but you want to bring new ones in, and that's a that's a think, very fine line to walk. I don't think they're worried and, about alienating Mark. They're worried about alienating that. I'm not going to. And, and Mark didn't. There's a certain demographic that's an old school baseball fan that's not Mark. Mark was not stating yeah, a view. He was giving me. statistical numbers, <laughs> just saying you. there were a lot more steals yesterday than in prior game, prior days. That's all. Move right. on. Walt Monty Taylor. <laughs> Is he reputable? I don't know. Uh, he's from Com- <laughs> he's from Com Daily. Yes, they are reputable. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> the standard Tegna broadcasters have appealed the FCC's. Um, what does that even stand for? HDL. I don't even know. Something type of order. Basically, what he's talking about here is what we've talked about on this podcast before, where we believe in a nation of laws. If you're the DOJ, you have to try things in court. With the FCC, you can send it to an administrative law judge, which is you know what a former FCC commissioner has has labeled a banana republic or banana court type of thing. So, look, I don't know. We haven't done the research to know if this is the first time it's been taken to court um, to a DC circuit to try and contest this. At a minimum, if it, it increases the attention on how the FCC uses this administrative law judge, with most people in the industry consider to be a, effectively a death sentence. If it creates attention or in, in any way um, maybe changes the ability to use, which is what former um, FCC commissioner Mike and friend of uh, Lightshed, Mike O'Reilly wanted to do when he was uh, in office before Trump bounced him, um, that would be a good thing. And I think that would have broad repercussions for how companies would consider whether to, to move forward or not with the transaction if they knew that if they could prove their case in a court of laws, that they could potentially um, take on that 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 challenge. Hearing designation order. So basically a referral to the ALJ. But Thank you're you. right, Walt. It is absurd that broadcasters can't merge in the world where they're going away. Or Well, I didn't say that. I have no opinion impression. on that. Well, no, I'll, I do. I'll though. let the courts decide that. I think it's absurd that, that you courts send can't it to decide. the ALJ. Yeah. Um, let's move on. We've got... Um, little WWE, Brandon. You want to tee up this video? Sure. This is from Raj Geary. Not sure if that person is reputable or not. Because I don't know what a blue check <laughs> Are you check saying mark. that? Right, because of the blue check. I don't Which know I... what a blue check mark means anymore. But It just um, means you have some money in your bank account. This is, a good time to, <laughs> this is a good time to pause the broadcast podcast. I'm sorry, Brandon, but Rich, are you going to pay for the retention of your blue check mark? I already did. Oh God, R- no, uh, Brandon! It's, it's are you by tomorrow? Actually, um, are you? I think I did already. I probably oh. will. Okay. It's not be- it's not for the optics of it, but whatever additional bells and whistles you get from it, from being a subscriber, I'm probably going to want because I'm a power user of um, of Twitter, okay. which is why I signed up for the subscription in the first place before it meant a blue check mark. Well, and remember, if you're not followed. If you don't, if someone doesn't follow you, the only way you show up in the in the for you feed now is if you have a blue check mark. But who uses the for you feed? You I use switched, reverse. Chrome I only? switched. 
I switch back yes. and forth. I'm usually reverse um, chronological, but I do switch back and forth here and there. Okay. I, I um, primarily use for you. But let's play anyway, primarily use for you. This, <laughs> the, tw- the tweet is from the very reputable David Faber on CNBC reiterated that quote, his understanding, end quote, is that Comcast NBCU is not part of the WWE sales process. So let's listen to this video um, about where the process stands, and then we could discuss the Comcast piece of it after. My colleague David Faber reporting earlier this week that it's been, quote, hot and heavy. Who's been bidding, and where are you in terms of that process? I like the very direct question on that. Unfortunately, I can't answer the who has been bidding, uh, but I can tell you uh, it's been quite a robust uh, response uh, to WWE products that have been built that has been built for over the past forty years. Uh, I think the fan base, the audience, robust process, Brandon. That means lots of people. You think? I have no idea what it means to, to be <laughs> honest. In terms of um, the numbers, or maybe there's just one bidder that's coming in where they you know, at toward, towards numbers that they want. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, we all know that Endeavor is probably a part of this. Comcast was everybody's favorite going into this process. We have been saying for a long time, we didn't think that they would, they would do this. Um, what's interesting about them is they also have the exclusive window, I think may start like next week or something, on renewing the raw rights are they going to go ahead and um and secure those rights before they know who owns it do they still want raw rights none of that is something that we know i assume they do but that we know at this point so it'll be interesting to watch that exclusive window but there's also another piece to this brandon that came out this week we don't have it in the deck which we probably should have but vince mcmahon changed his contract and has now an even larger golden parachute Totally. I, I, you know, we have at times been skeptical about whether Vince wants to sell or doesn't want to sell. Um, it sounds like from what Nick has been saying on his media blitz <laughs> that, that, um, that Vince does indeed want to sell. Um, it's but, just but a matter he changed of his con, but he changed his contract so that he retains the rights to his life story, even if a sale occurs. You only do that if you really think a sale is about to occur. Like it, it really feels like they're setting up all the signs for like this is really going to transact. Yeah, I well, mean this doesn't feel it, like a charade it, at it, this point, right? If it is going to, who's the buyer and how much? Right? Isn't that isn't that the kind of open question? And what rights are committed to vis-a-vis Raw and SmackDown before that happens? I don't know. I It'll still, be really again, interesting if somebody endeavors the front runner. And I said this, I think, last week, or I've tweeted it a couple of times. I think Amazon is a very interesting bidder or potential bidder to, to watch in this. I think it's sort of almost part of me worries that it's just like too obvious to choose Endeavor and that maybe the, you know, the idea of going digital and sort of building into the future with what Amazon could do both from a merchandising standpoint and multiple nights of the week, they've now established Thursday, like with Thursday night football, we know they want more basketball. Like, I don't know. It just, uh, this, this definitely has an Amazon feel to it. 
And I wonder whether, you know, sort of, I don't want to say the dark horse, but the non-obvious choice, obviously we've ruled out Comcast NBC, is the non-obvious choice more likely to actually prevail here? And I don't know. It would be fascinating to see Amazon come in. I mean, mean, they're not the only digital player. I mean, you could say, is Netflix going to do this? I personally doubt it after, you know, meeting with Reed and Greg and and Ted. It seems like they have their plate pretty full with all the things that they're trying to do there. Um, You know, Iger has made a lot of key acquisitions in, in his past to sort of change the shape of his business. And likes content acquisitions. Does this but fit? are in aggressive cost cutting mode? But aggressive exactly. cost cutting mode doesn't really fit right now. I mean, it does fit strategically. I think this is not the right time. In my gut, I think I'd rather watch a baseball game than WrestleMania. <laughs> so this was a lot of talk well, about some content, and who's it going to acquire? Well, it'll be interesting. Like, I I hope Walt that you. Tell Nick Khan that when we're in Stanford I'm not gonna tell next, next, next Wednesday, interviewing him. The last time I saw someone challenge anyone in, in WWE the, the, about it being like staged or fate, the guy took a hand to the face. So, no, I will sit there quietly and ask polite questions. Well, guess what, Walt? You think Nick mm-hmm. doesn't listen to this podcast? Well, then maybe so I'm not he already show up. heard you. I'm not going to show up. He's not that intimidating. It's not like you said it to like Triple H or something. Is Triple H going to be there? No. No. You're like, thank God. Speaking of Amazon, we've got this quick little tidbit that's also in the category of absurdity that came out after our podcast last week from (laughs) Forbes. Shares of AMC soared as much as 18% in Tuesday trading following the unconfirmed report that Amazon was nearing an acquisition for the struggling movie chain. Laura Martin was busy this week, huh? Oh, my God. I'm like... Was this, this a Laura Martin like, prediction? No, it wasn't. It's oh. just like one of these, like, you know, I, we, we've I don't seen know, this Rich, rumor Amazon, before, Brandon. I think this was gas bag, no? I, didn't Amazon release, aren't they releasing their one of those baseball movies or something in the theaters this, this week? They are doing Air Movie, which is the Michael Jordan um, kind of Jordan, that's of the, right, basketball. Right, so correct. I don't know. You never know. You look, they, you never know. They but, bought grocery stores, Rich. They did. So I guess you can never say it's impossible. What I would say, though, is if you wanted to buy AMC, uh-huh. you probably could wait nine months because it's probably okay. going to file for bankruptcy. And you. Could- but what if Apple comes in and usurps them? Oh, and yes, first? that's right. I forgot about that. OK. Um, the- theatrical yeah. is part of their strategy now. Yeah. A theatrical seems to be part of everyone's strategy right now, as uh, you know, we talked about last Maybe week. Maybe Amazon will use like half of the screens for warehousing and, <laughs> and the and other deliver app. the content via their new Leo constellation that they're about to launch. <laughs> Look at all the well, synergies or well, store it in the cloud and then have it digitally um, delivered. Well, speaking of using theatrical, we've got a story from Matt Baloney over at Puck News. The Oscars bold bid to boost movie theaters. And I'm just going to read a quote. This is from his newsletter last night. According to a plan that is said to be supported by Academy CEO Bill Kramer and which must be approved by the 54 member board, blah, blah, blah. Films will need to play in theaters in 15 or 20 of the top 50 markets in the U.S., meaning in theaters to be eligible for the Oscars. So, you know, sort of once again, sort of fearing that a movie is not a movie unless it gets released in a theater. 
I don't know. I mean, I mean, as if just, anyone sees the movies that win the Oscars anyway. we talk about fighting technology? Just exactly. Like 20 minutes oh, exactly ago. right, Brandon. This is a reprise of a prior conversation about you can fight it, and but at some point, it's in- inevitable. Good luck. Ooh, Rich brings out the hashtag good luck. Brandon, could you read this? Scoop. While TikTok CEO was getting grilled by lawmakers last week and responding to calls for a ban, the app's parent company, ByteDance, was actively recruiting creators for its new U.S. social media network, Lemonade. ByteDance-owned Instagram rival Lemon8 hits the U.S. app store's top 10. I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Is it owned by Chinese? I mean, ByteDance has Chinese shareholders. Uh, obviously, you know, the majority of ByteDance is not owned by Chinese I, I under I understand this, but my question is, is this going to face the same scrutiny that the broader tick, that TikTok is? Let's see if they well, do anything on the first one. Let's see if they do anything on the first one. And if they do, then sure, they'll just go after this one next. It's fine. You just got to set the precedent on TikTok first. It's a and weird whatever. strategy to to while you're under the microscope go and release another product what if this product also really starts to take off and then you're going to have alarm bells around like did, well more importantly accelerate even if, it, even if it doesn't take off you're just going to have people being like look these guys are relentless we need even a bigger yeah. policy to try and um yeah, deal I with this probably would have waited the only thing I'll say is this app is not a new app, actually. That's what's most interesting. This app was actually introduced, I think, a year ago, maybe even a little bit more. No one's used it. It's just been sitting oh, in out the there. US app store? It's been sitting out so there with did, no oh, usage. Okay. Well, that so, takes so there was, away what I just said. Well, that, so that's how what did was, it become reinvigorated so, or invigorated at all? How does TikTok ever drive engagement for downloads? Oh. Yeah, okay. You spend money, right? So they but, went to creators yeah. and creators, creators went and started promoting it. They paid creators to promote it and say, hey, go download this new app. And they spiked the mm-hmm. usage. But I think what's interesting to me is now they have, so ByteDance now has CapCut, which is their video making software, is number two in the US App Store. They have TikTok, which is number four. And Lemonade today is number 13. It's fallen a little bit in the last few days, but Three of the top 13 apps are from ByteDance. And the number one app in the in, in the US app store is Timu, which is a Chinese app for shopping, which is like Shine. And Shine is number 11. So five of the top 13 apps are from Chinese, you know, owned or you know, domiciled companies. Just sort of an interesting fact. I know a lot of focus on TikTok, but there's a lot of other Chinese apps in the top 15 of the US app store. I can make a great parallel to other um government issues that uh parties focus on and talking about, you know, invasions and people coming into the country and apps coming into the country. You want to be three or four or five or ten of the apps, that's just gonna enable. Um, the fear card <laughs> to be played that much more aggressively. Um, the legislation that has been in Congress would give the the power not just to ban TikTok or something that's created by ByteDance, but anything from a foreign adversary. So all of these could, would potentially be in jeopardy of going away. Right, but my point is that if there's that many, every, Rich just labeling three of the top 10, it enables you to just 
you know, fan the fan the fear flings by saying, "Look, look, they're coming! It's just they're coming from you know." And again, yeah, I don't understand this, strategically this, this has been why played before on, now. Yeah. Well, who knows who's actually, you know, mo- moving those numbers up? Maybe it's sometimes it's someone that's trying to make it the issue, right? I don't know. Go to the next slide. We've got a very funny um, sort of Bob Iger trumping uh, Ron DeSantis. This is from CBS News. Board members picked Trumping. by Florida governor. Well, if that yeah. works. Actually. Nice use of words. I, I guess did. it's a rivalry. I, yeah, yeah. I, I thought was of that, that on purpose, right? That was that was very much on purpose. Right. Board members picked by Florida Governor DeSantis to oversee the governance of Walt Disney World said their Disney-controlled predecessors pulled a fast one. One of them by passing restrictive covenants that stripped the new board of many of its powers. So all this work that Florida's done. Uh, or the the census has done to sort of attack Disney and change their tax district and all of their control of the land and space that Disney World sits on. Basically, they neutered the entire organization just before they handed power over from Disney to basically DeSantis disciples um, all in the last few days. So pretty fascinating. Wasn't kind of the interest? Interesting part that they invoked a law that was written that had that ran out when the descendants of King George the Third died or something. Is it fascinating that American law, any American law, had reference to the descendants of King George the Third? I mean, it is Florida. Well, the benefit rich to DeSantis on a national level to elevate his um, himself among the base that's going to potentially get him the Republican nomination was already secured. So whatever happens here is just kind of Probably a, immaterial. Well, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. No, it just it was it was a smart move by Disney taking advantage of this because sure. it is important to Disney longer term to have control over these issues. So uh, let's move on, Brandon. Diablo with 62 million hours played. Thank you for making hashtag Diablo 4 the largest beta in Diablo franchise history. This is just the beginning. Hell welcomes all on 6-6-23. Pre-purchase and get up to four days early access. Diablo4.com. So we don't know if this Microsoft Activision deal is going to go through. But if it doesn't, it looks like there could be uh, Activision could have a real hit on their hands with Diablo four. I think the kind of consensus on unit sales was somewhere in the what mid to upper teens. I think the last one sold upwards of over a couple of years. So like 30 something million units, this thing is going to sell a lot, a lot of units. So the takeaway here is you want to be long Activision because either you're getting bought at a premium. Well, I mean, you got to look at it, the- it. Obviously, it depends on the price of of uh, Activision, right? Because say they even could do like, I don't know to four fifty a share if you want to be generous, right? So what's uh, I don't know sixteen times four fifty? What does that get you to? Sixty is seventy two. Where's the stock mm-hmm. right now? Eighty five. 85 so 72 your downside's 13 and your upside is 10 on 95 so you know hey, maybe they can so do even more with than a big it, it, you're it saying even with a big how, hit. it's it depends on the multiple obviously and 
um, what you think in-game monetization is going to look like and how that's going to translate into your, you know, 2024 and beyond estimates. But the upside downside is probably pretty reasonably balanced in this thing right now. Last slide, Walter. From Law 360, a New York judge refused Thursday, that's yesterday, to block a state agency review of Madison Square Garden's liquor license. That's the first tweet. Just on this one real quick. I mean, I I saw Jimmy Dolan doing a very aggressive public marketing thing saying like, hey, I don't care. You know, I don't drink. But like basically trying to drum up broad support that I guess that's just not working. I mean, how, what, what's the end game here? This is kind of wild, right? You can't get a beer at a, at MSG. Is that, is that, am I reading that properly? I think, I think that the liquor license board has, could, I guess with this decision, strip them of their rights if they don't reverse the, um, the camera situation. Oh, it's the camera. Got it. I so think, yeah, just, that's what that's what this is all about. So he, he uh, couldn't he couldn't drum up enough public support to kind of knock this thing down effectively. It sounds like that sounds accurate. Yeah. What's the second tweet? Speaking of overreach by our government. Oh, New York Democrats propose a four percent tax on Netflix and Uber to fund MTA. Now I'll give you Uber streaming tax. I'll give you Uber. Um on helping MTA perhaps, but what is the, how do you connect Netflix taxing to the MTA of New York? Rich, you're a New York city Democrat. I can't (laughs) even fathom. I I literally don't even understand the concept other than they're looking for growing businesses to tax or I I don't know. I I literally have no idea. I mean, obviously it's goods and services that are used in New York, but Netflix is a California company. You think think there's a thoughtful process among politicians to say they're going to go after a growing business to tax as opposed to just to tax? Right. It didn't say, hey, we're going to tax. It didn't say tax Peacock and Paramount Plus. No, it's all streaming, I thought. Oh, was it all streaming? It was all services? It's not just Uber and Netflix. You think Lyft and other ride? I think it was rideshare and streaming. I mean, I get the rideshare. Rideshare, I can see the connection, but streaming? Like, what does streaming have to do with the MTA? It seems extremely random. I mean, I I do see a lot of people watching, you know, downloaded shows when they're on the MTA. Maybe you can argue that, that, you know, the MTA, maybe they added good Wi-Fi in there and they said, listen, we've, we've benefited these streaming companies, so they should pay. You know yeah. what? Yeah. I, you know what I think New York is trying to do? What's Become that? more like California. Oh, great. They're, no. they're, they're jealous of those Hollywood hills. And those golden beaches. Yeah. That was a very nice transition into the music. It's all about the segues, Rich. That's episode 152, everyone. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy WrestleMania, Brandon. <laughs> Will do.